You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You are listening to Episode 12, Stand Firm. Encouraging students to stand up for their faith, to learn more about it, is nothing new. Uh, But there are different pressures and challenges in the year 2020, uh, one of which, of course, being the pandemic and how online ministry and social isolation has affected students and their faith. Uh, But their faith should be rooted in their identity. What does it mean for our identity to be in Christ, to be hidden in Christ? And overall, what is the identity of the church? And what does that look like according to what we see in the media, online, and different messages that churches try to get across. To help me talk about that is my guest, Chris Starin. Chris is the host of the Truce podcast. He also has a few films that are available on Amazon Prime. And he and I are going to discuss um, what all of that means and how we can make sense of what the church's identity is today. Uh, and how students can stand up for what they believe in while trying to make their faith practical. So, let's go ahead and hop into that conversation. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on with me today. Uh, Yeah, my pleasure. uh, For those who don't know you, uh, could you give us a quick overview of who you are and what you're up to these days? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Chris Steeren. I uh, wrote and directed two feature-length Christian films, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls. And now I am the host of the Truce Podcast, which is a, a show that looks inside the Christian church at things that have glommed on the Christianity, like pyramid schemes, uh, uh, political campaigns, and uh, business uh, big businesses. And I would try to figure out how those things got there and how we can do better. Awesome, man. I love it. Thank you. Uh, As I mentioned in the intro, listeners, we'll be talking about how we teach students to stand firm in their faith and own it. Uh, You might be saying, Jeff, that's not a very unconventional or original idea for a show with Maverick in the title. That's partly true, teaching (laughs) students to uh, stand firm. I remember learning that in VBS as a kid. Uh, That's always been one of the foundations of church ministry, family ministry, and, and youth ministry. However, the era of social media has birthed many sources of pressure. Um, Cancel culture is a part of that. Uh, But before we talk about that, let's talk about the key to having students own their faith, which is acknowledging their identity in Christ. Uh, Chris, your Bringing Up Bobby film, among other things, seems to highlight the concept of identity in light of our faith. So what has been your journey in emphasizing that concept personally and professionally and then what new obstacles do you think G- Generation Z faces in finding that identity within our current culture? I feel like that's a whole podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is, man. My uh, questions are notoriously loaded, as my that's last fine. guest said. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's juicy. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. juicy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the big thing is like uh, you see, especially in your own faith, uh, how important it is once you really own the faith for yourself and it stops being about 
you know, your, your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith, it makes all the difference. Um, uh, and uh, it, it changes who you are. And so the goal is always to like, be like, how do we get this into the hearts and minds of kids where they own this for themselves, especially at an early age? Like, um, and well, we made our film Bringing Out Bobby because we, uh, my, I, I refer to myself as we sometimes because I have a twin brother and we made the movies together. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, his name is Nick, uh, and uh, so we we were volunteering with Campus Life, uh, which is a, an outreach to teenagers, um, and we were working there for years, and we just started to kind of see these patterns uh, within the kids, and uh, where they would kind of change who they were depending on who they were with, and so you know it was easy enough at Campus Life to act like a good Christian kid. Um, and then as soon as they get out on the street, you know, or out with their friends, they're a completely different person. Um, and, uh, and so the goal was always to be like, well, how, how do you be a believer all week long, uh, all month long, instead of just that little bit of time that you're in a ministry? Um, and so we, we made that film to try to encourage kids to, to figure out who they were before life got complicated. And anybody who's been alive for any amount of time knows that life is going to get complicated. Um, and so the film, it focuses on a goth kid. Um, so he's, you know, wearing all black and he's got a mohawk and stuff. Um, and he's challenged by his older brother to figure out who he is and what he believes before life gets crazy. And of course it's a comedy, life gets crazy. Um, and, uh, and so the goal, well, there are multiple goals in the movie, but one of them was to, to demonstrate what, how chaotic life can be if you don't have that rock, um, uh, to hold on to, uh, if you don't build your, your life on that solid foundation. Um, and then also, uh, to demonstrate that, uh, uh, well, one of the things was like being a goth kid, uh, we wanted to reach out to a group of people who are underrepresented. Um, in the Christian world, they're kind of seen as like, oh, their clothes are going to define them and they're all evil because they look like demons or whatever. Um, but we learned working for Campus Life that, uh, or volunteering with Campus Life, that oftentimes the goth kids were the smartest, kindest kids in our group. Um, and so we wanted to present a kid who was a main character who was lovable um, and fallible and funny and awkward um, and just sweet and, uh, and smart. And uh, so that was one of the things is we wanted to take that sort of outcast kid and make him lovable so that the, the Christian audiences would feel like I can approach this kid. I can, I can be a part of investing into the life of this kid. Um, so anyway, I'm getting a little off topic, I guess. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. But one of the things we, we learned while volunteering so much was that um, a lot of our kids would say to us, you know, I, I believe in God, but uh, when my grandmother dies, I think I'm going to really struggle. I'm not going to be able to hold on to my faith because she's my, my rock. That's like, well, your grandmother is like 200 years old. You know, like she's going to die. That's, that's one of those things I can guarantee you your grandmother's going to die unless she's taken up on a, you know, in a chariot of fire up into the sky, she's going to die. <laughs> um, so it's like your, your faith kid has to be deeper than this thing that is basically guaranteed to happen. Um, and I think part of what we learned was that uh, oftentimes in Christianity, we are, we're so focused on being positive. God loves you and he does love you. Um, and God wants to bless you with these things or whatever, but we don't prepare kids for the realities of things that are definitely going to happen. Um, you know, you are definitely going to have 
hurt relationships. You're definitely going to put your foot in your mouth. Um, uh, you're definitely going to lose people that you love. And that's, that is a part of life. And so one of the things we realized as we were uh, reaching out to these kids uh, was that we had to prepare them for those hurts um, and, and deal with reality. Um, and it's one of the things that when I started reading the Bible for myself, especially in college, um, I started realizing that there were all of these things in the word that I had never heard anybody talk about before. Um, you know, like uh, how do, how do we deal with uh, God telling um, the people of Israel to slaughter whole nations of people? Yeah. I, I don't know. We never talked about that as a kid. You know, uh, how, how do you deal with death or disease? You know, and that stuff is, it's all in the Bible. Um, but we don't talk about it um, and, uh, we're, because we're so focused on trying to be positive and, and upbeat all the time. Um, so I think a lot of what we have to do as a church is, is try to be realistic. And as part of that is we need to actually take kids into the Bible. Um, I, I used to lead a, a, a high school boy Sunday school, and we were trying all these different things about trying to be creative and make games. And we had a lot of fun. And I think we were doing good work, but then the kids eventually said, you know what? You're always telling us to read the Bible, but why don't we just do that? Why, why are you always telling us to do it on our own? Why don't we just do it together? Uh, I think there's a great deal of power in getting into the word and reading it, especially like a whole book at a time. So you can't skip the parts that are hard, mm, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> because the kids need to wrestle with those things in a safe environment where it's okay to ask big, hard questions. You know, mm-hmm. what, what do I do when my grandmother dies? Um, what do I, you know, what do I do when people don't like me or I'm being bullied? Um, uh, you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of those big questions that can be discussed within the context of the Bible. I think that's super key, um, in that context. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I love, um, you know, as a youth minister, I love when, uh, students reset the leaders and say, you know, yeah. The uh, programming is great, and I know you're planning all this out, but here's what I really need. And there have been several, it's so great. There have been several (laughs) moments that have happened like that over uh, the course of my own ministry in various places. And it's a good uh, ego check for me. It's a good um, reminder that my worth is not found in my work or my actions, you know? And I think that is the hardest part of grasping identity. You know, um, you used uh, terms like goth kid and we have jocks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the uh, breakfast club model, if you will. And I think labels uh, are something that the culture has always been great at assigning and giving. They are great at doing labels. So are we, um, because we like to um, say, well, this person is, you know, we give a description, but then that description yeah. becomes their identity. And when you get into junior high and high school, that is basically the question that drives everything that a student will think about, learn, and how they will grow before they graduate is, who am I? How do I answer that question? And the idea of not putting your identity in kind of what you've been trained to put it in, your accomplishments, yeah. your intellect, your abilities, all of that, it's actually not because of you, but it's because of Christ who died for you and our lives are hidden in him, right? If we've been crucified yeah. with Christ, uh, that means that the things that I do 
they're not terrible things, right? It's great that I have the ability to do all these things, right? God gives us good gifts. He gives us gifts and talents and abilities for his glory and for our good. But our identity is not as uh, short and brief as here's this label, here's what it is. Because if I'm no longer an athlete, if I'm no longer um, in school or whatever else, am I still that person? Am I still the same person? Or does my identity have to get up and go somewhere else and and completely change based on my season of life? And it should be constant. And that's, that's the struggle through reading scripture, uh, conversations and series, uh, games and activities, right? How do we get students to think about that? Because as adults, it's a hard concept for us. Um, and so how do we get them to latch onto that? And I think very clear, short exercises, um, you know, that kind of focus on that, but even just saying, you know what? Yeah, how these games planned, but you're right. Let's just read this or let's talk about this one question. Um, Several years ago now, um, we had uh, a church-wide catechism process that started. Not so much like you you get confirmed and things like that, like in some churches. It's basically how do we determine um, what a healthy, growing disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. And so our family ministry uh, specifically started thinking about that. And we came up with these seven points of doctrine from our uh, church doctrinal statement, which happens to be the Nicene Creed. Um, And so when we were talking about these seven points, you know, God loves us, Jesus comes to us, um, all that kind of stuff. When I was explaining it over the summer, when we introduced it to the students, I felt like I was throwing highballs over their head and they're just like, okay. And I would try and give them practical application. Like we think God's word is real and authentic. And so let's go and read it, you know? So what I did was I took um, six weeks and I compiled about 30 or so questions. And we spent from the middle of October to the end of May talking about those questions we would go one week at a time. And if we didn't get too far into a question, we would come back the the next week and pick back up with it. And I tried different formats, like um, guys and girls would have a debate. Uh, I would have a panel of speakers. um, And all these different formats would usually end in, here's the mainline evangelical perspective. Here are these other Christian perspectives go and learn about it and own your faith, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are different uh, perspectives that we don't often think about. And we get so caught up in, I need the right answer. I need the right answer. And because of that, we end up dying on the wrong hill, right? We talk about Jesus as Lord and uh, and salvation is only through him. Those are the things that we should be adamant about. But other things that are secondary or mysterious, like if we're like, my entire faith is based on this one thing, Man, that that's a small faith, and that's putting God in a box, right? And it sets you up to fail too, uh, because yeah. sometimes you'll put your faith in something that is shaky, uh, and then once that thing is questioned, your whole faith falls apart. Um, yeah, and that's actually that's one of the things that my show is about. Which I'm trying to like kind of see where all those little um, shaky areas are, and try to like get us back on solid ground. Um, 
because I, like, again, when I went to college, you know, I, I, I had read parts of the Bible, but I was one of those people that I would like funk it open on the table and just whatever page it landed on is where I would read for, you know, a couple of chapters or whatever. And uh, I found that once I got a context of the whole Bible, reading it beginning to end, uh, getting an idea of the history, the arc, the stories, the themes, um, it, it started to make a lot of difference, but it forced me to wrestle with stuff. And I think, uh, like I was saying, that it's important that we teach kids how to think, not necessarily what to think. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. they, they, you get, like you said, just those basics on, on uh, the, the gospel, who is God, who is Jesus, obviously important. But a lot of those other things uh, that we get tied up into, uh, like patriotism, um, is a big one. Um, the United States is sort of this perfect nation, and it's, it's not. It's a, it's a very great nation, but it's not a perfect nation. Um, uh, you know, like your family, what if your family lets you down and that's going to happen because we're humans. Um, but we, we get sort of these idealized images of things that are shaky and we know that our, our rock is actually Jesus. And so anything outside of that is going to cause us issues. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you brought up your, your show and I definitely want to get to that and maybe this will help, uh, segue because, you know, I think what, what we're talking about on this podcast and what you're talking about and probably what a lot of people in ministry are talking about either conferences, different conversations is Generation Z because, uh, you know, there are lots of books on it. I have a few on my shelf and uh, it's it's different. We always say that every generation, it's it's different. It's never been like this in human history, all of that. But the one big paradigm shift that sets... Generation Z apart from other generations is they have never grown up without technology. Right. Um, yeah. It has been in their face since they can re- remember. And uh, it has shaped and defined their social sphere, their cues, what they understand to be right and wrong. Um, so many things, including the most you know, depending on what study you look at, the most rampant uh, incline of mental health and depression and anxiety that maybe we've ever seen. Right. And a lot of it, um, especially, it's very interesting, a lot of different studies tie all these stats of the jump back to the summer of 2007, and that's when the wow. first iPhone came out. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting to see how it's, literally shifted and even changed the brain chemistry of these students. So, you know, we, we talked about identity and labels and all those things. What do you think are maybe one or two specific things that maybe you've seen or had discussions about how this generation is facing some things uh, that are obstacles that maybe others haven't faced and trying to find their identity yeah. in Christ? You know, I think that the most interesting thing I've ever heard about this, um, and there's, you could, again, this is a podcast series, <laughs> this question you could, you could talk about for years, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's a book called Mediated um, by a sociologist, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Thomas D, uh, D, Thomas D, Zengotita. Dezengotita. I can't even, but uh, it's, a, it's an interesting book. I haven't read it in years, so it may have some crazy stuff in it. But I remember this one big idea that he had uh, that that really struck me was that when you watch television um, and you see somebody, maybe somebody's dying, they're on their deathbed, and then 
or at a funeral and then the loved one is left behind and then just busts out in tears like, why, why did you do this to me? You know, you see that on TV all the time. They fall on the casket. They have a little hissy fit. They have to be pulled away. Um, that, that thing in our, when we see that as an audience member, uh, we think that is how a person acts at a funeral when they're great, they're, 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 the person they most loved dies. Mm-hmm. Well, in real life, when you get to that moment, you may not have that impulse uh, to fall on the casket and weep and stuff like that. And so part of that, what that makes you feel is that I am somehow not human and not as human as those people on TV. Um, so we are like the TV movies are telling us how to act. And when we don't act that way, we feel somehow not human or disconnected. Um, and I feel like that. Um, translates into social media where somebody puts on Facebook, Oh, look, I got a new haircut. Don't I look amazing? Right. And then you're like, part of you wants to say, it's just a haircut. Um, you know, like it's not, you didn't, yeah. you know, invent the polio vaccine. It's a haircut. And it's also um, behind three or four different filters that you spent half an hour right. making before you yeah, posted yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's this desire to always project what I am supposed to be instead of who, how I actually feel. And the reality is that we all have different ways that we process information, different ways that we emote. Um, and it does, and I think that one of the big issues that we, we're struggling with now is that uh, kids are being told how to act and how to feel uh, in a way that is not realistic, mm-hmm. um, that, that you know, doesn't actually fit. And so then they end up feeling somehow alien or non-human when they see these things, so we, when I was volunteering for Youth for Christ, we had a bunch of kids who cut, you know, who would um, use razor blades and cut their arms. And um, in talking to them about that, part of that was them trying to feel something and be in control of something um, because they would see on TV somebody acting a certain way and then, or supposedly feeling a certain way, and then they didn't feel that. Um, and so they, that made them feel somewhat other. Um, and by cutting, it made them feel something and feel in control, uh, which was a huge eye opener for me uh, to to learn about that. Because uh, we think, oh, it's just kids are kids are just depressed, you know. But it's like you realize, no, we're actually feeding them bad information, um, and and what they see as normal is not, in fact, normal. Um, so part of that, I think, uh, we can remedy by letting them see us as people. Um, as we struggle with realities, instead of like trying to be this perfect youth leader who's got his whole life together and never feels anything and is never angry, uh, if you can kind of invite them into your process and into your life, they can start to see good examples. And this is probably also uh, more important for kids who maybe don't have a great family environment. If they yeah. can see how your family works in, in all of its imperfections, uh, but what a healthy family looks like, that model can be so much more valuable than just talking about a healthy family. Um, yeah. Letting them see you and see others in the church um, can kind of break down sort of that that mediated existence that we have, um, where they're they're constantly having people tell them, this is what reality is when it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways I've I've ever had. One of the biggest revelations was mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're getting all this sort of nonsense um, and we have to kind of show them what reality can be. Um, 
And that's hard when you, you know, it's hard to get them to put their phones down. It's hard to get me to put my phone down. I hate to say it. Um, But uh, um, we we need to invite them into reality um, by, by demonstrating what it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you mentioned with the TV movie example, you know, uh, when, when I was a kid and, and that was the big draw and talk about at church was what you're watching on TV and movies and TV. And now with the social media, it's almost a nuanced version of, you know, what you see on TV and movies um, is what you should aim for or be like. But now yeah. with all the customized control with social media, you can actually kind of make your own persona that everyone sees like they're right. watching a movie or TV show and the kids don't want to come into quote unquote reality because they're happy right there. Right. Um, you know, some research I did about a year ago, um, 21% of people of my generation, millennials, have said that they don't consider themselves to actually have any friends. Right. And they don't yeah. see the need for it because um, they think their friends, you know, they, they see people online as their friends, but really I think they recognize that they're just acquaintances and they're friends when I have them on my screen for a while, but then I forget about them and I go game or I go do whatever. And it's, it's unreal how disconnected we have become from reality while yeah. we're uber connected to the internet and, you know, all of this and, it's ironic now with COVID-19, which we'll talk about in a minute, how now that people, all they have basically for interaction is the internet. I think they've yeah. quickly realized that there's more outside of this that, that I need. And now that I can't get it, I'm really struggling. And there's a yeah. lot of struggles happening. But I did, I did want to touch uh, on your show. So the podcast, oh, yeah. Truce, uh, it addresses how the American church has taken on various social movements, adopted political ideologies. Basically, you talk about what the church's identity should be in light of being called to share Jesus by loving and serving others. Uh, So Chris, what conversations have you had on your podcast and what has been the response and outcome of those conversations? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I, I have a lot of friends from kind of all over the political, social, economic spectrum. Um, and so a lot of what we end up talking about on the show is uh, stuff that I have encountered in real life. Um, you know, the, the people caught up in pyramid schemes and they think that is God's will for their life. Um, or uh, people struggling with political ideologies. I was on a trail last week um, and I, I caught up to a stranger and uh, we ended up hiking together for a few hours and uh, just kind of talked about how the uh, church has gotten entangled with um, uh, U.S. politics. Mm-hmm. And then how sometimes the U.S. isn't always doing the best things, like in South America, where we depose uh, democratically elected people and put in uh, uh, demagogues in their place because they're friendly to the U.S., um, and and what how that reflects back on the church if we're going to support everything the U.S. does no matter what, and and then we're also deposing these democratically elected people in South America, how does that reflect on Christianity? Um, and uh, and so what I end up hearing a lot is like, boy, nobody else has talked about this. <laughs> Um, and a lot of the times I think uh, people will look at the, the titles of what we're talking about on the show and, and be like, oh my goodness, what, why is he talking about 
the Motion Picture Association of America, the people who rate films mm-hmm. and the history of them. Um, why, why is he talking about the ad council or pyramid schemes or whatever? But a lot of that stuff um, uh, is shaping who we are um, and the narrative we tell ourselves about the church. And ultimately the show is about our witness. Um, and uh, a lot of the times we think, oh, you know, the reason people aren't coming to Jesus is because, oh, they're, they're against Jesus. They're against the church. Well, actually, it turns out that a lot of people have hangups about all the stuff we're tied to. Um, and it, they, they're not even bringing Jesus into the equation. Uh, they're just like, oh, those Christians are, you know, they're all caught up in this craziness. I'm not going to, I don't want to be a part of their craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, not, again, they're not anti-Jesus. They're anti all the other stuff that we're tied up in. Um, and so my hope is to kind of keep bringing us back to reevaluating how is this thing we're tied up into impacting my witness and the church's witness. Um, and that, um, I mean, we're seeing that a lot now um, in the, the, the news. And maybe this is going to be some touchy stuff, so I apologize, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll tread lightly. But you look at um, the backlash certain Christians have had about uh, taking down Confederate statues right now. Um, the, I, I have a friend who was saying uh, the other day, um, that by taking down those statues, well, uh, the next thing they're going to come for is the church. Well, it's like, what evidence do you have for that? Um, you know, like they're, they're taking down statues that are representative of slavery um, and the oppression of whole groups of people. Um, and, and you're saying the next thing is the church. The problem is like uh, you then are supporting these Confederate statues. You'd rather these, these Confederate statues stay up. But so you're then tying Christianity to Confederate statues um, and the legacy of slavery. Um, and, uh, and I understand the struggle of, of people who are upset about history being rewritten and things, but that is very different than the church. Um, it's, it's very different than us being persecuted for our faith. Uh, but we drag the church into that conversation when it doesn't need to be there. Um, and then that, that can mean that people who are, um, we're in this, this moment of reckoning, uh, for dealing with racism, sort of like the Me Too movement, um, did for, um, sexism in the U S or is continuing to do for sexism. Um, and if we're, um, if we're not being open to listening to those voices and hearing what the underlying pain is, because we're so busy being offended, we're going to miss out on a real opportunity to share with people that they're true hope. Um, you know, we're, we're really going to miss out because we're so busy being angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we're so, be, we're so easily offended. And I think being offended is kind of, um, is not the job of us, our Christians right now. Our job is to listen, uh, to be sensitive and to be there for people. Um, I think of like, uh, I've got this friend uh, who works at a grocery store in town. Um, and you would think he's just the guy at the self-checkout line, not making an impact on the world. Uh, you know, how does he, how does he go to his 20 year reunion and tell people I work at the self-checkout line, but, uh, he is the most powerful witness in our whole town. Um, he, he, um, says, God bless you to everybody who comes through. He prays for people if they need prayer. Uh, he invites them to church constantly. And this is like, this is not a Christian organization. This is like a Kroger store here in Wyoming. Uh, this is uh, just a guy at a checkout line. And he just loves people 
where he is uh, in small and simple ways. Um, being kind, being patient when they don't know how to use a self-checkout, even though they've been here for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when uh, uh, they, they don't know how to use coupons or, or credit card. He just loves them. Uh, he's just there and he helps them in this simple transaction. Um, and he's a part of their lives. It's a small town. So people know who he is. Um, and I, I feel like if we can learn from him and be more like Florine, um, and just love people where they are in small and simple ways, instead of trying to be offended all the time, we're going to find that we have a lot more um, opportunity to really witness to people. Yeah, I love that. And I think something that we can pull out from, from that is the church should be leading the way on a lot of these, but not maybe in the traditional sense of here's everything that we should be doing and here's how the whole thing should be going. It's listening, right? It's humbling yeah. ourselves and listening and to truly um, think about what it's like for people going through hardships, even yeah. especially with things like racism and all of that. Like uh, a lot of us, especially us, you know, as white people, we, we really yeah. can't put ourselves wholly in, in, in that perspective because we, that hasn't been our, our reality and things that we think of as maybe intellectual talking points are people's daily lives and Mm -hmm. it's different. Um, and we need to be able to have a dialogue and that requires patience that requires us shutting our mouths (laughs) and to, to, to listen. And, you know, sometimes even resisting the urge to say one, Oh, they, they, they said that. So I'm going to give them this really good quote or quit back. Yeah. Just saying, "Mm -hmm, yep. I hear you. That that's really hard and let them keep talking. Right. It needs to be, a time of humbling ourselves and then being able to approach dialogue at the level of where they're at instead of where we think they should be and trying to hit them up here when really right. they're down here. Um, when we did a study uh, several months ago um, called uh, when, when helping hurts uh-huh. it's based out of life church, uh, Craig Rochelle's church. And it's basically the idea of, you know, mission trips and service projects and all of that when are they actually beneficial to those people oh. for the long term? And when are they just an ego boost for you to pat your own back and take pictures and leave? Right? right. And I talk about, you know, when we see someone who's asking for money or asking for help, especially um, if they're like down on the ground or, or, or they're sitting there, right? We, we look at pictures in the scripture of people asking for money and being down. And would you just stay standing and, and throw something at them? No, probably not. Like, what's the what's the best thing that we could do? And it's actually to get your position and stature in the same as them, to lower yourself, to yeah. talk with them, and uh, mentally and emotionally, that's what we need to do when we're engaging with people on issues, especially issues where uh, we really don't have the personal practical experience and the hardship of what they've gone through and what they're talking about. That's when we need to listen and, and yeah. humble ourselves. That's hard and to do. It's very hard yeah. to do. And I think the practical way that we're seeing that now um, is COVID-19, right? The uh, pandemic. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think we should talk about how the church should be loving and serving others well. Um, and you would think that, for example, wearing a mask or a face shield, while inconvenient, yes, wouldn't be turned into a weapon for, polit- for people's political quivers. I guess I should have known better. Um, but as big a deal as masks are right now, they are just one example of how d- 
division uh, and disunity within the church keeps us from delivering a unified message of hope in Jesus and that we truly want to love others well. Uh, so, Chris, what are some examples you've seen lately of the church standing firm with its calling and stepping up to serve well, as well as model the love of Christ during this time of pandemic? Yeah, well, I mean, like the, the face mask is a really, it's a good example um, because it doesn't take much to put it on. Um, and regardless of what you believe about COVID, your friends and neighbors are afraid um, of this mm-hmm. disease, which has killed hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> so they have reason to be afraid, uh, mm-hmm. whether you whether you believe it's a thing or not. And if all it takes to love your neighbor is to put a cloth mask over your face, it's not that big of an ask. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not that big of a deal to, sh- to say, I love you and I care about you. Yeah. Um, and to be humble in that kind of thing. Um, you know, when your your kid is afraid of the dark, you don't walk into the room and say, you know, just get over it. You're a big baby. There's no such thing as monsters. You you turn a nightlight on, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because that's the loving thing to do. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if somebody like, uh, I, uh, I I go, I do, I hike a lot. Um, and uh, sometimes we get into situations where people can be afraid. Uh, last year we were up on the middle Teton here in grand Teton national park. And uh, a friend of mine got separated from the group by a, a big snow field. Um, and, uh, a, there was a, a, a snowfield on one side, a cliff on the other side, um, and some really steep stuff on the third side. And it's like, well, it's getting dark. It's going to rain. We need to get you down. And instead of just yelling at her to be like, you need to be an adult and get down that snowfield. That, that wouldn't have been loving the, the right thing to do as we went back up, um, and helped her come down the steep side. Um, just guiding her put your foot there, watch out for this thing, mm-hmm. take this easy, take my hand here. Um, and I feel like we as the church need to be more about that. Um, instead of yelling at people from a distance is coming up alongside them and, and w- walking with them uh, when they're afraid, uh, when they're concerned, when they're, when they're offended. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, we get into all these big theological discussions in the church and they're important to have. Um, but the hardest stuff uh, for us, uh, the stuff that we really should be focusing on is the really simple stuff, um, to love our neighbor as ourselves, um, to walk as Jesus did. Uh, to, I mean, even uh, Jesus tells the p- people to pay their taxes. And how much time did Christians spend screaming about taxes right now? It's like, no, just pay your taxes. Let's get back to ministry. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we, we struggle with all these giant questions when it keeps coming back to like my friend Florine at the self-checkout line, you know, can I help you right now? Can I, can I be a part of where you are? Um, and I think part of that is listening for key phrases that people say that will indicate how they're actually feeling. Um, you know, when they're talking about um, whatever political campaign that they are for or against, try to find out what's underlying below that. Uh, what, are, what are they afraid of if so-and-so becomes president? Um, and how can, how can that reveal more about them and their needs? Um, and how can I be there, minister to them? Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like sort of slap the gospel on them, you know, um, but uh, to actually help them through whatever they're going through. Because the gospel is, is obviously the most powerful force in the universe, but um, 
it is not, um, uh, it's not something we should just throw around lightly. Like, um, uh, oh, you know what? Uh, Black Lives Matter would all be solved if everybody was a Christian. Well, it's like, no, there are a lot of Christians who are racists. Yeah, there's, you know? uh, yeah, I, I've also heard uh, we should just preach the gospel. Well, if Black Lives Matter is still going on, then I guess people have not been preaching the gospel at all or the gospel hasn't worked, right? It, that, right. That's not how we should approach it at all. And there's a lot right. more behind it, as you're saying. It's not as simple as just do this, right? It takes right. listening, because everything is subjective a lot of the times. You can't be objective and blanket approach everything, especially right. something as uh, powerful and as sensitive as racism and political campaigns and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it, it, like I said, it sounds very complicated. And how do I do it? How do I solve these big world problems? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, just be faithful in the small things. That's uh, one of my favorite uh, verses is Luke sixteen ten. I'll just read it here. But he who is faithful in a, in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is an unrighteous is unrighteous also in much. Um, and Jesus is just reminding us, like, be faithful in the small things, because yeah. you can. Tr- if somebody is being faithful in the small things, you can trust them with the big. Um, and I think we as Christians um, just need to keep focusing on those essentials. Absolutely. I think uh, to the TV and movie, and movie point, uh, when we think of stand firm, we might think, well, this big argument at school is going to come and I have to be ready or yeah. it's going to be some big thing. But really, 95% of the time, it's small, subtle little points in your day where you need to listen to be gospel centered and think and think about that. And that's where it becomes, you know, we're talking about the gospel as a lifestyle and it's more than just on a Sunday morning or at youth camp and everything like that. And I think that practical approach is probably the most used and most helpful for youth workers and people in ministry to be able to guide students to, to guide people. And it should be reflected in your daily life. So if it isn't, why not? And if it is, what does it look like and how can that grow and improve? Because those small, subtle things, those add up and then you are consistent and people see that. And you know what? If you say, I don't know in the middle of an argument or everything else, that doesn't make your faith illegitimate, right? That doesn't make you ineffective or um, if anything, it says, you know, I'm not sure I need to research that. And my my faith just isn't about my knowledge at this moment on that issue. It's more than that. It's not based on me. It's based on what Jesus did for me. And so, you know, it's, it's a good way to listen and to keep the conversation going and say, instead of saying, I don't know, but you're wrong. And to go to a polarized cliff and and throw rocks at each other, it needs to be in the middle. It needs to be a dialogue, which is, you know, as you pointed out with some issues that you talked about on your show, it's messy. It takes time. It, it takes investment, and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Um, so that's and how we should approach things. Yeah. And ultimately, we know that there are a lot of things that we're tied up in as the church. And if we're we're never going to be able to answer for all of them, because mm-hmm. uh, there's always going to be some nut who's involved in something way and who's getting a ton of press, mm-hmm. and then we have to answer for every single nut that's out there. Um, but you can, instead, it's better to use those, um, use those times to, um, to ask people questions. So if your kid, a uh, kid in your youth group comes to you and is curious about some not who's up to something, you can ask them good questions instead of having to have a response, you know, if, because we, we don't always know, 
you know how many things you as an adult are supposed to know and be an expert in? Right, right. Uh, you, you can't know all that stuff, but you can ask good questions about uh, what do you think that, that, uh, that means? Uh, is, is that person responding biblically? Um, or are they misusing the Bible? Um, uh, you know, how does that make you feel about these things? How does that change your faith? And I think those kinds of conversations are way more important than having the perfect packaged answer yeah. uh, for every little ill that society has. Yeah, that's always been, uh, I feel like, a, a part of the foundation of my own ministry is don't settle for right answers, learn to ask better questions. Right. Because that will help you think about your preconceived notions. And, you know, I've heard people say, after 15 years when I thought this was in the bag, I actually read this piece of scripture that I've read 500 times and I thought about it differently. And now I'm having new dialogue. And you could land back where you did before, but when you approach things and have good conversation, that helps you grow in your faith. And that's how you grow in your faith. That's not just, here are the right answers that I learned when I was seven and now I should defend those and not learn anything else. Right. Man, it is growing. There is no finish line in this lifetime for our no. faith. We are ever maturing and ever growing, and right. there's no finish until Jesus comes back. And so right. uh, we need to be in pursuit of that and realize that our being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and, and pursuing his example in our lives uh, yeah. is for the long haul. Yeah. Um, and I think also part of that is having allowing room for mystery, because I think, as you alluded to at the beginning of this, that... Um, there are parts of the Bible that are extremely clear about the gospel and who Jesus is and who God is, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of mysteries that are involved. Yeah. I, I don't know how God saves somebody. I just know that he does save somebody. Um, and sometimes our desire to systematize absolutely everything in the church um, and have a creed for absolutely everything right. um, hampers us because it, it pulls the mystery out. And when like a, like a Jenga tower, when one, block is pulled out, it can bring the whole thing down, even though that block was illegitimate mm -hmm. um, or should have been left more mysterious. Um, same with all those, all the junk that we associate with the church. I mean, I, there was a church here in town years ago um, that was real, like a whole bunch of people got really into CrossFit. You know, that's the, where you do all these squats and lunges and mm -hmm. things, and it's yeah. a workout model. And, uh, and they were tying it to that, uh, you know, uh, those verses about treating your body as the temple of God. Um, and so if you weren't doing CrossFit, some of the, the people in the church would treat you like you were an outsider and you were disobeying God's laws. And it's like, <laughs> it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that I need to do your workout. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just sort of a, a light example, but we have tons of things like that in the church, um, that when you find out, oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about CrossFit, um, <laughs> it can ruin your faith, you know, over something so stupid. Yeah. Um, but, but we do that all the time on things that are small or things that are really big. And so I'm hoping through truce to, to try to address some of those things to, 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 bring, um, to bring us back to our solid foundation. Yeah, I love it, man. We didn't yeah. get to, to uh, cancel culture, but that's okay. That's a whole another <laughs> several podcasts worth. But yeah. uh, you know, I think that this theme of what's the church known for, what's the church's identity in, in 2020, how should people think about themselves as their identity being in Christ, being hidden in Christ, 
Um, it's an ongoing conversation and it's one that takes encouragement, dialogue, going back to the word and um, good conversation with Christian brothers and sisters uh, like you. So, man, Chris, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, yeah, man. Where can people find your show and what you're doing if they put your name in a Google search? Where would they find your stuff? Yeah. Uh, so you can find the Truce Podcast. That's T-R-U-C-E podcast at trucepodcast.com or anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and you can also uh, find Bring Up Bobby on Amazon Prime or on Pure Flix. And um, we're, I also have a, a novel called Cradle Robber, which is on um, uh, your e-reader if you'd like to download it. And it's cheap. So why wouldn't you download it? <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, Truce Podcast is the main thing I'm working on right now. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Chris. You're welcome back anytime. I'll be praying thanks. for you as you continue Please. to use your gifts and influence for the edification of the church and for God's glory. Thanks again, man. Thanks for the opportunity. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Chris for joining me. I encourage you to check out his podcast, Truce, whenever you have the time. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Podbean, or TuneIn. And you can also catch us uh, Monday nights at 6 Central on Eternal Ready Radio. I encourage you to share this episode with anyone who works with youth, hopefully you, and how we can think about teaching students how to own their faith and stand firm in their faith. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios.